see you guys here. Man, oh man, let's get right into it. It just seems like for the past few weeks, it seems like we've been, uh, you know, as we're going through the book of Acts, uh, we've been left hanging. Um, you know, the way the chapters are kind of broken up, um, where we leave off, where we pick up. Um, as you know, chapters and verses were, were put in later, were added for our convenience so that we could get to where we're going to. And that, you know, but the letters were written in the sense that there were sentences and there was paragraphs. And, um, but yet sometimes some of the chapter breaks seem to be like right in the middle of a paragraph that you should have just kept on going. And whoever, you know, made these, these however they put these chapters and stuff, they, yeah, anyways, be that as it may. We will continue in our journey with the Apostle Paul. He is now in Jerusalem, and um, what is happen to, happening to him is exactly as the Lord had revealed to him. And I really appreciate that, that the Lord had already prepared him for what was ahead, and it's going along just the way the Lord planned it, the way he had revealed it to Paul. I'm sure there was things that kind of surprised him, but he said, you know, nonetheless, it's happening the way it was supposed to happen. And even though Paul knows that, he is willing to go through it even though. Even though it's, he, whatever he has to go through, he will go through. It doesn't mean that Paul is not going to stand up for himself because we've kind of seen that already. But he does that when it's necessary. He continues to be wise as a serpent and gentle or harmless as a dove. So with that, we are starting chapter 23 this morning, and we will be covering the first 11 verses, and we will be left hanging once again in the middle of a situation. But I want you to continue to read because it almost seems like from here on out, it's one continual story for Paul's life, and we're going to be left hanging oftentimes for the rest of the book of Acts. And so even though we're starting a new chapter this morning, I want you to be able to go and look at the last verse of the last chapter because we read it last week, but we didn't cover it. And I want to cover it this morning because it's important for the narrative this morning. And so verse 30 of chapter 22, it says, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he, had, he was accused by the Jews. He released him from the bonds and commanded the chief priest and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law. And do, do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do not revile God's high priest. 
Then Paul said, I didn't know, brethren, for he that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Verse 6, and when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and no angel or spirit, but Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and uh, protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. For if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for you, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Oh, Father in heaven, we look to you. We thank you, Lord God, for the privilege, for the honor of being able to open up your word, for the freedom that we still have right now, Lord God, to be able to open up your word and proclaim it, Lord. I pray for, for myself that you would give me wisdom in proclaiming this, Lord, but that you would give us ears to hear as we look at your word, Lord God. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, the story gets more and more interesting as we go through this portion. And so, again, if you remember, again, Paul was just about to get scourged. And he throws that question out there, is it, is it lawful for you to scourge me? Not being condemned. I'm a Roman citizen. And so all of this is going on, and I love the fact that now it says in verse 30, the next day. It, it almost seems like the, the, the commander had to kind of pull back from everything that's been going on that day. It kind of got a little hostile. It, it kind of got a little crazy there, and he almost has to pull back to make sense of this whole matter, to give it some time, to let cooler heads prevail, if you will. To let everything and everybody just kind of settle down a little bit. Isn't that the best thing to do when things are going on in your life? To kind of just take a step back to see, you know, okay, what do we have to do here? Again, that's wisdom. Wisdom on the part of this man here. Having discovered that Paul was a Roman citizen. The Roman captain here, the commander, needed to let the prisoner know what the official charges were against him. 
This was Paul's right to know as a Roman citizen. And so again, Paul played it just right, right the way he had to do it, to, to throw out his Roman card, his Roman citizenship card and say, hey, you can't do this to me. And the, 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 the captain or the commander having to realize and analyze and, and bring to, to some kind of understanding what is going on here, what do we need to do here? So knowing that he's a Roman citizen, but also knowing that he is a Jew. He is Jewish at the same time. And that the accusations against Paul were a Jewish kind of accusation. It wasn't a civil kind of thing. And the best way to bring all this to light was to, to, to call for a hearing before the council, that is the Sanhedrin. And if the, the prisoner, because it's a Jewish situation, if the prisoner is found innocent by the Sanhedrin, by them, then he could be released. But if the charges are valid that have been brought against him, then they could send the case, forward it to the procreator, procreator which would be like the... the, the not the attorney general, but, but someone in high official, uh, like the governor, the Roman governor. He would take it to him for, for an assessment of what needs to be done here. The, this commander had to have official charges for his own records because he had to share about this whole uproar that has happened right there in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. He had to write all these things down to show his supervisor why there was an out-of-control mob. Again, they kept really good records about all of this. And this is why it's important that all of these things were now written down here. This commander was sure, he had to have been sure that Paul was this notorious, dishonorable, infamous criminal. Otherwise, why would so many people be so up in arms about this guy? Why would they want him done away with, that is, be killed? Why are they chanting and shouting all of these things against him? But it is quite obvious as you go through this story that nobody really seems to know what Paul's crimes actually are. Oh, he's been accused of certain things, but there has not been any proof. And so this puts this commander, this Roman official, in quite a quandary, if you will, which is officially called a sticky situation. <laughs> And so the only logical thing to do was to let Paul's own people try him. And so this commander arranges this special meeting. I'm sure he gave them a heads up the day before. Hey, tomorrow morning, we are going, you guys are going to settle this issue because I need to settle this issue. And so he arranges this, this Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, which would be equivalent to to the Supreme Court, if you will, for the Jews to settle the issue. Now, this group of the Sanhedrin was made up of 70, 71 men because the high priest 
would preside, preside over it, but it was made up of, of some, some Jewish teachers from the, the Sadducees and from the Pharisees. They, they combined together. I don't know if it was an even number or somewhat even. If they, there was a majority one, I, I don't know exactly how it was, but the high priest was the one that kind of oversaw the whole thing. And it was the high priest's responsibility to interpret and apply the law to these affairs for the nation and to try those who had violated the law. Again, Paul's been accused of violating it, but there's no hard evidence that he has. And so again, they want him dead, but the, the, the Romans are going, but tell me exactly what it was again. All this hearsay was out there. And so the Roman government had given this council, the Sanhedrin, permission to impose capital punishment on those who had offended the law and those who deserved capital punishment. And so this commander and his guards brought Paul into the temple or into the, 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 the council chambers and it seems as they brought him in and these guys are sitting, wherever they're sitting, they kind of step aside to watch this whole proceeding go about because verse 10 kind of alludes to that. That they were there, present, not in the midst, but just kind of present, ready to jump in if they had to. And I think the reason why they would stay there and why they would have to oversee this trial, especially with Paul right now, was because he or they, they knew that the, how the Jews had treated Paul already. They wanted to already tear him up earlier. And they couldn't afford or allow this prisoner to be taken from them and be killed. No bueno for, for the commander there. Because no Roman soldier could afford to lose a prisoner that way because that might mean that he forfeits his own life. Whatever, the, whatever the, the, the penalty was, then that Roman soldier, in this case the commander, would have to pay for those charges. And the fact that it was still kind of unclear, kind of murky, kind of vague, it would have been really embarrassing to lose a prisoner like this. And so verse 1 of chapter 23 says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, so as Paul stood before these men, it says that he looked earnestly at them, which means that he, he stretched forward kind of, kind of, you know how you would like almost look a little closer? He, he stretched in a, in a gaze that was very intense at these men. That is to say that he, he fixed, he fastened, he set his eyes on them. I don't think he's mad-dogging them. I don't think he's trying to intimidate them. These guys aren't intimidated by this man. I think he's just looking at them and kind of leaning forward to really look at who is there. Understand that the last time Paul stood before a council like this, which more than likely were not the same men, because now we're talking 20-some years later, Although there might have been some, some guys from, 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 the, from the past that were still there. But the last time he stood before these guys, he had gotten letters from them. He just shared that in his testimony. He had gotten letters from the Sanhedrin to go and persecute the church. 
Now, again, it's quite possible that even though it might be a whole new batch, they probably still, the, still had the wanted, the, the you know, dead or alive poster in their room of Paul because they didn't like this guy. So they know who they have before him. And it is quite possible that the reason for this intense looking at them was because they, they had come together quickly. And it just maybe didn't look the same as what he remembered this council should look like. Perhaps not all of them were there. Maybe it wasn't 70 and he's looking intensely going, why are these guys there and not the rest of them? It's quite possible that he's, he's trying to look intensely at them to see if he could recognize any of them. It could be that he's looking intensely at them to try to read them or size them up to find out who they are and what they're all about. Also, another possibility that he's looking intensely at them is he wanted to see how many of them were Sadducees and how many of them were Pharisees. And I don't know if, they could, if he could tell whether they wore something different, however it was, but he's trying to He's looking at these guys pretty intensely, and as he's looking at them, he begins to speak. Men and brethren, I have lived, all, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. He addresses them in a way that was probably customary to these Jews. And perhaps, we don't know, but he, he may be speaking to them in their la native language, in the Hebrew dialect again, to identify, still wanting to identify with them. doesn't tell us that, but, but it could be. But he says this to them, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. I like the way the Amplified puts this. He says, I have lived before God doing my duty with a perfect, a perfectly good conscience until this very day as a citizen, a true and loyal Jew. In other words, I have conducted myself properly for all these years, and now this? It, it, it almost has that tone to this. I, I've been doing my life, I've been living it the way every Jew is supposed to live it and now it comes down to this at this moment I'm being tried like this I don't know maybe he's going you remember who I am you remember my, my pedigree you remember how I always conducted myself that has not changed and now it's been brought down to this and it's kind of interesting if it is in that tone that now the shoe is on the other foot and now he's going here let me let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you how I feel right now. For all these years and now this. It's interesting because the Greek word for lived means to live as a citizen. I won't pronounce the Greek word because I can't. But it gives us the, the English word politics for it. We get our word politics from the English word that for lived, or for the Greek word for lived, but it's, it's more of a little phrase, to live as a citizen. 
Paul affirmed that he was a loyal Jew. He had lived as a good citizen this whole time and had not broken any law. And again, maybe this is where we might not understand how he, how he is saying this. And we're looking at it going, what, what are you trying to say? Because he's saying, I have never broke the law. I have never done anything that I'm being accused of at this very moment. I have lived as a very good citizen, and yet he's being accused of not being a good citizen because he's being accused that he had brought some Gentiles into the temple. And so he's standing up for himself, saying, I've never broken the law. And because of that, his conscience did not condemn him, even though there's a group of Jews that are condemning him. And these guys are believing those Jews. Those Jews from Asia that have brought these accusations. And so Paul's pretty upset here. And maybe that's why he's looking intently at them, trying maybe to intimidate them, going, you know how I've done this. Again, the tone, there's sometimes that I'm studying and I'm trying to look, to, to try to figure out the tone here. <laughs> That word conscience seems to be one of Paul's favorite words because he uses it twice in the book of Acts. He uses it, uses it here and he will use it in chapter 24, verse 16. But 21 times he uses it in his letters. And that word means to know with, to know together. And so I want to quote to you from a commentary that I love to read all the time. I always read the Wearsby commentary, and I'm stealing this from it. Well, I'm not stealing it because I'm quoting it. I'm going to quote it. There's a quote here for the word conscience. It's pretty lengthy, and I wanted to read it to you. I couldn't make it my own, so I have to quote it now. But this is, this is what it says in this commentary. Conscience is the inner judge or witness that approves when we do right and disapproves when we do wrong. Conscience does not set the standard, it only applies it. The conscience of a thief would bother him if he told the truth about his fellow crooks, just as much as a Christian's conscience would convict him if he told the lie about his friends. Conscience does not make the standard. It only applies the standard of the person, whether they are good or bad, right or wrong. Conscience may be compared to a window that lets in the light. God's law is the light. And the cleaner the window, the more the light shines in. As the window gets dirty, the light gets dimmer. And finally, the light becomes dark. A good conscience, a pure conscience, is one that lets God's light so that we are properly convicted if we do wrong and encouraged if we do right. A defiled conscience is one that has been sinned against so much 
that it is no longer dependable. If a person continues to sin against his conscience, he ends up with an evil conscience or a seared conscience. Then he will feel convicted if he did what was right rather than what was wrong. Close quote. Pretty powerful. Uh, about how we conduct ourselves, the conscious, the, the, the clearer we have this relationship with God, the more, the better we are convicted. And Paul is saying, my conscience is clear. It is good. God's light has been shining into my life. I know when I'm doing right and I know when I'm doing wrong. And this, my friends, I am, I, up until this time, it seems like the, you guys just broke the window and are accusing me of something that I've never, ever done. And this is where, again, in our lives, if we can be sharing the Lord, living our lives with a clear conscience, and then somebody just accuses you of something that is totally against your character. Something happens, man. <laughs> and and the, the, the hairs on your neck kind of get up and it's like, that's not true. And yet, man, we see throughout life, you know, that those people who defend themselves like, well, they might be guilty. And it's like, no, their conscience is, is clean, it's pure. Here in this situation, he is saying, I have had a clear conscience, a good conscience. And this day, it's, it's almost like it's been somebody just threw mud on the window and it's just blurred the whole thing. And so it, it, it is as if Paul is, was challenging what he is being accused of by these Asian Jews. And now I'm kind of sure that now he has, knowing that he would stand before these guys, he probably has something prepared for his defense. Although that's going to change. He's not going to be able to fully go, go through with it. Because when he says this, and again, it was almost insulting the, 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 the judges, the council, that he's saying, I've come to this point and now this? I've always been a good Jew. And it says, And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on the mouth. <laughs> now, the historian Josephus wrote that Ananias' response was in keeping with, was in line with what was known about Ananias. He is described as being an insolent, rude, disrespectful, hot-tempered, profane, and greedy man. This is the high priest. <laughs> this is the guy who is kind of overseeing this council right now. <laughs> I think sometimes we think like what we go through in this day and age is like, it's so unfair. It's like, I don't know, man, we've seen a lot of Ananias's in our lifetime going, how'd they get to that position? But they did. This high priest didn't want to hear anything from Paul. And basically wanted to shut him up. So it may not have been a great surprise to anyone who was in that room that he would strike someone. But it, I, think it was, it, I think it took Paul by surprise. 
I really do. Because of his response. He gets smacked, and as he comes back, he goes, God will strike you. (laughs) God will strike you. This outburst was triggered by this illegal command from the high priest. You see, the high priest was violating a law while sitting as a judge to uphold the law. He, he actually violated that law. Within the, the Jewish law, the accused was presumed innocent until proven guilty. And so this, of course, was an illegal act, an inhumane act, if you will. Because Paul had not been proven guilty of anything. The, the, the high priest sitting as judge in this situation could be or should be expected to, to, to show honesty and fairness, compassion and concern as they weighed out the situation. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall not, or you, sh- you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person for his, uh, of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. And that was thrown out the window. They all knew the law. And again, it, it seems like it had happened before. And so he turns around, he says, God will, will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Ooh. He just dropped a 3W bomb. Oh, my goodness. Paul called him the 3W word. Whitewashed wall. It's interesting because Jesus had used the WWT word when he was around. He called, he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. <laughs> just as bad. A whitewashed wall or a whitewashed tomb simply means hypocrite. And so he called them a hypocrite right there and then. One who who puts on a show. He looks good on the outside, but he is weak and deteriorating on the inside. And he called them out on it. This high priest who sat as the judge to do justice had just violated the law by having an uncondemned man hit. And so Paul calls him out on it. Now understand, there's a lot of truth. There's truth in what he is doing right there. And yet, somebody turns around and tells Paul, do not revile God's high priest after this outburst. Paul had made it known to him, or they had made it known to Paul that he was the high priest, that it was the high priest who ordered the hit, literally. And Paul says this in verse 5, I didn't know, brethren. I didn't know that he was the high priest. Now, (laughs) for some reason, Paul didn't know. 
It's hard for me to understand that. <laughs> You're kidding me, right, Paul? You didn't know that this was the high priest? How is that even possible? Well, some might think that he didn't know who exactly was the high priest since this was an informal meeting and perhaps he didn't have his high priest hat on. I don't know. Or garments on. That, 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 that maybe he wasn't sitting in the usual place where the high priest, again, it's been 20-some years since he was before these, maybe they moved the room around. I don't know. He didn't, for some reason, the priest wasn't sitting where the high priest is supposed to be sitting. And so maybe, possibly, he just goes, why, well, it should have come from that guy over there, but this guy's ordering the hit. Could it be... Again, that he had been away from this Jewish religious scene for such a long time, he didn't recognize anybody on the temple and didn't know who exactly was who. Or maybe. Maybe. Paul's just being sarcastic here. Could such a man as a high priest actually do this? Kind of calling him out and shaming him. I didn't know. I didn't know a high priest could break the law like that in front of everybody and get away with it and nobody says anything. Again, I don't know exactly. I just find it hard to believe that he didn't know who this guy was. And Paul quotes Exodus 22, 28, where it says, You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. And so in doing that, he, he maybe truly didn't know. But what Paul does do here, he kind of, he respects the office, but not necessarily the guy who's sitting in the office right now. <laughs> what we can take away from stuff like this when we're looking at this, because again, I, I, I put myself in the situation and would I have like, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> Again, you know, like trying to get away with like, oh my goodness, got busted here. What we can take away from this is that even if it doesn't go the way we plan, it doesn't ever give us the right to fly off the handle at people. Again, it's so easy to, to go off on someone. It's like, oh, wow, it was just the spur of the moment. I was kind of, you know, the tensions were high and stuff. It's like, it doesn't give you the right. It doesn't give you the right to go off on someone, even when someone else strikes first. Paul should have kept control of who he was, but he didn't. God, strike you. You've whitewashed and I don't know about you, but I'm kind of glad he went off the handle. He, he flew off the handle. Not that it, the times that I may go off the handle, which I very rarely do. No, believe me, I never do. But you almost look at this and you're going, Lord, here's, here's Paul. Kind of, kind of blowing it. it. It really sounds like he's blown it right here. And it kind of comforts me. And I'm kind of glad that he kind of blows it. Oh, he gets kind of put in his place. Because again, we, we see 
humility from Paul. And I don't know if Paul humbled himself or God just convicted him because he's had a clear conscience as saying, you do not do this. And he had scripture to back it up. But either way, whether, whether he humbled himself or he was humbled by God, because that's what will happen. If we don't humble ourselves, God definitely will humble, ourselves, humble us. And I'll tell you this right now, it's a lot better when we humble ourselves than God having to humble us. It hurts a lot more. We either stand on the rock in humility or we get crushed by the rock. Either way, he is the rock. <laughs> either way, Paul was humbled here. Now, what I love as we move forward here into the next part, what I love is that Paul continues to use wisdom as he goes through what he has to go through. Using whatever means necessary, he's already shared his testimony. Whatever he has to do to get the name of Jesus out there in every situation, he will do it. He, he, to, to, to share the gospel. <clears throat> Even though it may not have made sense to him at that moment, even though it may not make sense to those who were with Paul and kind of looking from the outside in, even for us who read this portion of Scripture and it doesn't make sense, why would Paul have to go through what he has to go through? This we do know. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. We know that. So whatever situation we find ourselves in, if we believe that scripture, then it doesn't matter what's going on. We, it might not make sense, but God can and will use it. Whenever we do things for the glory of God to benefit the kingdom of heaven, not your own life or not Calvary Chapel's life, but for the kingdom of heaven, Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth, from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. God uses us to be that example, and again, if we're doing it to glorify God, God will use it definitely. Now, it doesn't seem that Paul's going to start preaching or anything like this. But he will bring something up as to who Jesus is and what he did. And this is where the wisdom comes in. He throws something out there that, that will define why he is actually there. And so when he says in verse 6, then Paul, and when Paul perceived, but when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other, the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee. Not I used to be. I am a Pharisee. The son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope, which is Jesus, and the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Now, it's interesting because he has brought up certain things, but he's never talked about the hope and the resurrection, but he actually has throughout his time of sharing the gospel. That's what he always shared. He always shared the hope in Christ, the hope that comes from the cross. 
And he always talks about the Messiah, the living one, the one that, that will never die again. So he's talked about those two things, but now he throws, it, he throws it in the middle of this group here. Because his first attempt with, was foiled, stymied, thwarted, he takes another stab at it, and he almost like takes a different angle, but he throws this doctrinal issue at them. <laughs> because you see, these two groups were on opposite sides of the spectrum here in what they believed. It, it, as far as the spiritual realm, and this is where the wisdom comes in, that he is now going to pit these two groups against each other. It might not sound Christian to you, <laughs> But there is wisdom in what he is doing here. He knew that it wouldn't take much to turn these guys against each other. Knowing that the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they did not believe in the resurrection or in the spiritual realm, if you will. <clears throat> and this division was used for Paul's advantage. Why? Because he is a Pharisee. It's not he used to be, even though he used to be a Pharisee. He still says, hey guys, I'm a Pharisee. <laughs> I still am a Pharisee. And my dad was a Pharisee. And the reason I stand before you now is because I preach about the hope that is in Jesus and about the resurrection from the dead. That's why I stand before you right now. And he throws that out there. It's almost like he, he throws out this little grenade and he just like turns and waits for it to explode. <laughs> and because of what? Because of what he knows. Now they have to pick sides. <laughs> because the Pharisees could not deny what they truly believed in. And he knew that the Pharisees would have to pick sides. It didn't take much for him to throw that out there, really. He knew it would ignite this, that quick. Paul is playing politics here in his approach. And he knows exactly what he is doing. Why? Because he knows that he's not going to get a fair trial with the Sanhedrin. He knew where each of them stood, he's going, yeah, let me throw this little bomb in there. And now they have to choose sides, <laughs> and now half of them are on Paul's side. They were the ones that wanted him dead a while ago. He wanted them done. And now we're going, we're with him. Because he knows, it's like, man, if he's here, because again, the way they say it, well, if, if an angel or somebody spoke to him, then we can't fight against God. <laughs> and so there arose a great discussion, dissension. It was a volatile situation already towards him, but now he torn, puts them against each other. And again, you have to believe that God gave him the wisdom to, to take care of the situation because if he wouldn't have, 
the trial would have gone a lot quicker. And God has already promised Paul that he would see Rome. And he reiterates it again in chapter or in verse 11. It's, it, so now the, the trial will come to a stop. Man, I'm sure that there was guys outside already gathering the best stones, man. Because they knew, man, this guy's a dead man. As soon as they bring him out and those guys back up, we're going to start throwing stones at this guy. And yet none of that happens. And because there's a fear from this commander <laughs> that they, after this, this dissension arose, he feared that these guys would actually pull him apart. Paul was in a literal tug of war here. They are pushing, pulling them on both sides. And so you could see how God uses this whole thing to delay the inevitable in the, in the physical realm there. There's still something else God wants to do with him. And so causing this great dissension among these two groups bought him more time. Again, this was nothing new to them. They would always fight against, about these issues. And so verse 11 says, And the following night, that night, <clears throat> after all of this, after him being taken back to the barracks and put, in, put into a room or a cell, wherever he was at. And the following night, the Lord stood by him. What an amazing scripture. Knowing that the Lord had already revealed to Paul that he would go through a lot in Jerusalem. And it was going just the way the Lord told them it would be going. The Lord himself stands by him. I, I, I don't know if this was one of Paul's darkest moments, but it was a hard time, to say the least. And yet, Jesus comes to him right where he's at with everything that is happening, and he encourages him. He was right there with him, but I think the most important part of this whole verse was the fact that Jesus knew his name. He knew his name. Paul. Be of good cheer, Paul. I don't know what that sounds like to you when you know that he, God, Jesus, knows your name. And he prays for you. And he comes to you and he comforts you using your name. We might read this chapter and know that it went exactly the way it was supposed to go. But what good came out of it? Paul got beat earlier. Oh, he did get to share his testimony, not all of it, but he got to share some of it. He gets shut down. He comes close to being scourged. He gets smacked in the mouth in front of this council. He's almost being torn apart. And yet, the Lord tells him, be of good cheer, Paul. Why? Because you have testified of me. Here, just the way you were supposed to do it. Through all the hardship, through everything, 
You did what was asked of you, Paul. Be of good cheer. Take courage. Is what the Lord says to him. And I would say, the Lord says to us, be of good cheer. Take courage. Because Jesus stands right by you. And he meets you right where you're at. Amen. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this. Again, Lord, I know I say this all the time. Thank you for this portion of scripture, Lord. But Lord, every time we get to open your word, Lord, there's things that you minister to us about, Lord. Different facets, Lord, as, as we study the life of Paul and we see the ups and downs, the good and bad, the times that he just nails it and the times that he just blows it. And you're right there with him, Lord. You, you showed up that next night or that night, even after saying something bad to the high priest, you still showed up, Lord. And I thank you for that. And I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters here. I pray, God, that you would just minister to them through this portion of Scripture. That, Lord, we all go through different things in our lives and sometimes our, our, our conscience are seared and sometimes, Lord, they're, in, they're, they're, they're clear. And yet we have those moments in our life, Lord. And yet, Lord, when we humble ourselves, when we turn to you, you're always willing to speak to us and to call us by name. And I thank you, Lord. And I pray for anyone who's here right now, Lord, who may, have, may feel so far away from you, maybe don't, doesn't even consider themselves a Christian at this moment, Lord. You know who they are. And they think that you don't know their name. I pray, God, that you would truly minister to them. And as you call them out, Lord God, that you would speak to them. Father, thank you, Lord. Just lift up your name. We pray, God, that you would just continue to minister to us in our, in our hurts and in our pain. And that you would just be here, Lord God, lifting us up, encouraging us in our darkest moments, in times where it's, it just seems bright. Just have your way, we ask. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>